Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, Tom will recap a massive aircraft order from United Airlines while I take a look at what the Antonov AN225 has been up to lately. I'll take a look at Singapore's interesting new fifth freedom flight and Joe will talk us through regional airline Vidro's summer plans. Finally, Tom will look at whether Airbus could use the giant of the skies to test hydrogen technology. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show and I mean we really can't and ignore this united order that came through today as we're recording this podcast can we joe it was huge it was i'd say huge is an understatement it's actually <laughs> the the biggest order by a single airline in the past 10 years nice. and the largest in the history of united airlines so the u.s carrier ordered some 270 aircraft nice big it wasn't even just from one um carrier they've gone on both sides of the duopoly so um it was kind of in Boeing's favor because Boeing took 200 of the orders, but Airbus got a decent 70 for the A321neo. Nice. So it's 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 interesting. Um, in terms of the max aircraft ordered by United, the they've got 30 aircraft that have already been delivered, and including those, the airline now has commitments for 380 737 Max aircraft. Wow, that is a so, lot. They must be giving Southwest a run for their money on being the biggest customer. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Of them, um, 200 were the new orders today. 50 are for the sort of relatively standard Max 8 variant that everyone seems to have these days. Yeah, um, although United only got its first this week, didn't it? Because it's it been did. only yeah. flying the Max 9 up until now. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one there. But um, interestingly, it's going to go one bigger because the remaining 150 orders are for the Max 10. Wow. Um, which obviously took its first flight. Well, I think we discussed its first flight last week, didn't we? I think we did, or the week yeah. before. We certainly chatted about it on here. Mm. Yeah, well, anyway, on the other side of the aircraft duopoly, uh, United Airlines has ordered 70 of the A321neo. And they haven't um, specified that it's the LR or the XLR, so I'm assuming it's just a standard A321neo variant. And, you know, they've already got 50 XLRs on order, so they don't really need any more right now, I'd assume. <laughs> Probably um, not. And you know what Airbus is like. It's fairly flexible. You kind of, yeah. you place an order for one thing and, you know, people quite often change it. You know, we'll have a few more LRs and a few less yeah. XLRs and, you know, it's all quite mm. interchangeable. So I, I expect they're yeah. going to wait and see how things pan out um, when exactly. it gets a bit closer you know, to delivery these these airplanes aren't even going to be made anytime soon maybe in the next sort of couple of years so there's time to have a breather and think do we really need this or that so have they given any indication as to whether these are going to be different on the inside yeah they have actually so it really doesn't stop um there with the news because United Airlines announced they're going to completely redo the narrowbody cabin, not just of these new aircraft, but of the whole narrowbody fleet. Wow, uh, okay. As, at least as far as the mainline uh, fleet is concerned. So we don't know sort of the specifics yet, but um, I think our colleague Jay is going to see them later in person. But what we do know is there's going to be a 75% increase in premium seats on North American departures, larger overhead luggage containers, 
entertainment at every single seat and the industry's fastest in-flight Wi-Fi, which I always thought was something that JetBlue was very proud about. So um, it, I, it'd be definitely interesting one for you to look into as our IFC specialist. <laughs> definitely interesting. They haven't said it's going to be free though, have they? No, not that I've read. But no. what they have said the plane will come with is LED lighting. Ooh. Mm, well, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't they all these days? <laughs> exactly. Um, but what I thought was interesting was that United's going to have finished retrofitting all of its existing aircraft uh, that are not being replaced by 2025. So quite a swift timeline, considering how many narrowbody planes they've got. Yeah. Um, in total, over the next over the coming years, they're expecting 500 new aircraft. That's so incredible. So 40 are coming next year, mm-hmm. then 138 in 2023, and the remaining 350 in 2024 and beyond. But what I find just outstanding about that number is if you take 138 aircraft, narrowbody aircraft in um, 2023, yeah, that means the airline is going to be taking a new aircraft on average every three days. So... Let's take one on Monday, Thursday, and <laughs> Sunday, you know? <laughs> yeah, crazy. That is it's, crazy. It, it really is crazy. I wonder if but, the manufacturers um, can keep up. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm sure the uh, United, uh, not United, Boeing, I'm sure can with the 737 MAX 8s uh, because they've got all of these uh, white tails. There's no indication true, that true. the white tails are part of this, but who We knows? did hear from Airbus. I think I, we talked about it last week that they're looking at ramping, ramping up the up. A320 yeah. line and they're talking about 70 aircraft a month by 2025. So, mm. yeah, they're, they're definitely scaling up to meet this sort of demand. Um, yeah, but that's yeah, like free a day. <laughs> big investment for United right now. And, it is. Uh, surprising but... on the back of all the losses as well. Yeah, I guess it goes to sort of cement its eco-friendly position, though, because United's like made no, no um, secret of the fact that it is an environmentally conscious airline. Yeah, and it told us that the by replacing its older jets, it's going to generate a fuel efficiency increase of eleven percent. But these aircraft are also bigger than the aircraft they're replacing, so there's going to be a bigger drop in carbon emissions per passenger because there's more passengers to divide it by. And they reckon that the total carbon CO2 emissions drop is going to be 17 to 20% compared to the sort of existing fleet, which is still uh, a lot of emissions, but it's it's better than nothing, you know. And of course, fewer emissions mean uh, fuel savings too. So it's good for their bottom line as well. Yep. And it's good for the planet. (laughs) Well, something that's maybe not so good for the planet is uh, it's always like that question, what's worse than a a plane with four engines? A plane with six six. engines. (laughs) So uh, we don't talk enough, I don't think, about the Antonov AN225. Um, So I thought I'd take this. No, we don't. We really don't. And I had a lovely interview with the the guys at Antonov Airlines recently. Mm. So I thought it was a, a good time to have a look at what the world's largest plane by maximum takeoff weight and wingspan I just, is. I think you can call it the largest plane. It's fine. Well, there'll, there'll be people arguing that point. But uh, but anyway, it's been out of service for a little while now. In fact, almost a year. Um, mm. But we spotted it taking off from Kiev um, earlier last week. And yeah. uh, it, it's been flying to Kabul to, get to, to pick up some um, military equipment. Um, notably, it's flown three military helicopters this week. So uh, yeah. exciting cargo as always for the 
the huge aircraft. Um, but mm. it's actually the first time it's flown since August 2020. Now, there was a lot of uh, hoo-ha just before Christmas that Antonov Airlines was going to be offering the AN225 as a replacement for the, the grounded AN124s. If you remember, there was that one that had yeah. the um, uncontained engine failure and then a runway excursion. And uh, mm. they kind of, I think it was uh, Volga Dnepr, grounded all of their fleet to give them a check over. Um, But actually, no flights took place. It looks like they managed to keep up cargo capacity without it. So this was the first time it had flown for quite a while. Um, Mm. And actually, Antonov Airlines as a whole, with the AN-225 as well as the AN-124, has been kind of flowing in and out of Afghanistan quite regularly. And it's uh, the US and NATO military forces are are kind of withdrawing from Afghanistan. And of course, they need to get all their equipment out. So Mm. these big planes are really important. And uh, last week's flight, as I say, it picked up these three helicopters and took them straight back to the UK um, as part of the RAF's withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, So people at Bryce Norton were really excited. You know, as you can imagine, wherever this plane goes, it draws quite the crowd. Um, Mm. It barely spent... And what happened? Well, it barely spent four hours on the ground and there was quite the crowd of avgeeks watching it leave. Um, Mm. And it was kind of sat at the end of the runway, spooling up its engines and creating a tornado behind it. Um, And uh, all these avgeeks were blowing all over the place and it actually blew down the entire perimeter fence for about 100 yards as it was taking off <laughs> so it really just shows you the the force and the power that this giant airplane has um mm. there's a really cool video of it on the site if anybody wants to check it out um but i wanted to let you know you know that it's um the heaviest plane in the world it holds the world record for that but did you know it also holds another 123 world records that it's achieved I in its lifetime know. So that gives it 124 records in total. Yeah, and Antonov but Airlines told surely me the, it's, uh, it's... the Antonov 124 should have that many. <laughs> oh, I like your thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been waiting for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. So, yeah, it's set 214 national and 124 world records in total. Two of mm. those were broken the minute it was certified, um, which was the aircraft with the heaviest maximum takeoff weight in the world and the aircraft with the largest wingspan that is currently in operation. So before hmm. everyone gets excited about the Spruce Goose, it's, you know, current aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> Um, So one of the records it broke was for the heaviest single piece of cargo. um, And this was a generator of some sort. I didn't quite understand what the equipment was, but it was a giant, great big generator thingy. um, And it had a loading frame weight total of 187,600 kilograms. And uh, Antonov took it from your neck of the woods, Frankfurt, Germany, to Erevan in Mm. Armenia. Um, so that was just for a single piece, but it's lifted much heavier things if you look at multiple pieces. So um, mm. back on September the 11th, 2001, it actually broke several world records in one flight. Um, and the the key one that Antonov told me about was the one for carrying the heaviest payload in history. Um, and it was 253,820 uh, kilograms. Um, so that I, I don't know what that was actually. It was uh, multiple things, but it was the the heaviest it's ever been loaded as an aircraft. Mm. Um, the longest thing it's ever carried, which also broke a world record, was um, two forty two point one meter long test wind turbine blades, which it took from China to Denmark. Um, okay. 
And not all of its world records are about weight and size either, um, because in 2012, it broke a Guinness World Record for the highest altitude art exhibition, which was carried out at 10,000 metres above sea level. um, And it included 500 works of art created by 120 artists. So that was pretty cool as well. You can see the inside of the AN225 all decked out with paintings. Um, But it's... How would they manage that? Because I thought it wasn't pressurised in the the main area. Uh, Well, it was only at 10,000 metres above sea level, so I'm presuming it doesn't Uh, necessarily... 32,000 feet. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, Well, is it pressurised then? I don't know. I thought maybe it wasn't, but maybe they just carried the art and that counts. Maybe they didn't have anyone looking at the art. (laughs) I don't know. Mm. (laughs) I'll try and find out and get back to you. Um, Let us us know next week. (laughs) (laughs) I will do. Uh, But it continues to break records, even in these pandemic times, because in 2020, it was doing lots of work carrying PPE around the world, and it managed to carry a thousand cubic metres of boxes containing PPE, which is apparently Mm. the biggest volume of cargo in history. Um, And in order to get it all onto the plane, the loadmasters had to disassemble all the pallets and load up each individual box individually. Um, and there's wow. some cool pictures around of that, of that as well of How them all stacked up. And, uh, yeah, I can imagine it was a pretty arduous task. But uh, mm. that's my little foray into the the great big cargo aircraft that we all love that isn't very good for the environment. <laughs> the mm. AN225. <laughs> I mean, there's only one though, so it's not really the end of the world like you do need these special things and exactly um, exactly it's made it possible to transport stuff that was previously completely unfeasible to fly you know within a matter of hours flying here there and everywhere every day they use it when they need it and when they don't need it they don't use it so i i I just maybe not going to be the most (laughs) with six but i yeah i give it a pass but one thing slightly more I guess, environmentally friendly because it's a lot newer is the A350. And it's going to be, we're going to see a new A350 in Europe this summer. Oh, that's exciting. Whose is it? Mm. So it's Singapore Airlines. And I'm going to tell you now how you can fly with Singapore Airlines for cheaper than with Ryanair. Are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) I'm very interested. Singapore Airlines is going to begin ferrying passengers between Copenhagen and Rome uh, with a new Fifth Freedom route. And we know Fifth Freedom by now means um, you can carry passengers between countries that are not where you're registered. Yeah. Or where you you live. um, And you can pick them up and put them down again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... It's interesting because the two cities, uh, Rome and Copenhagen, now have four options to get between them. Okay. So the first one, obviously, now is Singapore Airlines. Um, There's also Norwegian, Ryanair, and SAS. Mm -hmm. And just when we found out about this route, I looked on Google Flights to see the prices for just the first trip. So... SAS in economy um, from Copenhagen to Rome came in at 207 euros. Mm, About average. Yeah, Ryanair came in at 176 euros. Mm, Better than average. Norwegian came in at 146 euros. Bargain. Singapore Airlines was just 76 euros. What? On an A350? (laughs) Yeah, on an A350 for $91. But it gets better than that because you can, they've obviously got premium economy and business class on this plane as well. Yeah. So premium economy comes in at 184, which is still cheaper than economy on SAS. (laughs) (laughs) And then the business class cabin comes in at 276 euros, which 
I found really interesting because SAS is slightly cheaper at 261 euros, but you just end up with an economy seat with the middle blocked. Yeah, that's proper like European continental first, isn't it? It's not yeah, or business. Not it's it's not the, real business. It's uh, So you're paying an extra, what, um, not even 20 euros for Singapore Airlines in business class, but I would argue you're getting maybe 100 euros at least better pro- uh, better quality product. Well, let's hope they're doing a full meal service and alcoholic yeah. drinks between there because uh, I, mean, I reckon I could drink if... about 100 euros worth of alcohol in that <laughs> amount of time. <laughs> champagne, please. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just leave the bottle, darling. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's... it's I'm I'm very keen to maybe give it a go later this year. Uh, I wait until things die down a little bit more. I think, yeah, um, with still all that's a bit going crazy. on. But, yeah. um, I doubt you're going to get bedding in first class, but there's no one stopping you playing with the buttons and making your chair <laughs> a bed. I, I, I know you know I would, but um, I think the interesting thing is it's a rotation within the Schengen zone. But I I get the impression that it will be operated as a non-Schengen flight. All right. So what the Schengen zone means is like if you travel within European countries, you don't have to show your passport. You should have like ID with you, but um, you don't need a passport per se. Uh So Rome, Copenhagen to Rome would tick this box. But what I'm thinking is people from Singapore to Rome are going to mingle with the people from Copenhagen on the road to Rome on the plane. So you can't really separate them. So I think... It, rather than making everyone clear passport control in Copenhagen, it's going to be easier to make the people Copenhagen to Rome clear passport control. So yeah. definitely one to watch out for if yeah. you're going to be flying that. But what it's it's a bit of a, 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 a pain for av geeks who want to get on it because it leaves both Rome and Copenhagen incredibly early in the morning, making it difficult to. Uh, do sort of like a freeway, a triangle route without an overnight. Yeah. So it leaves Copenhagen at 8.15 on, um, in the morning, getting into Rome at 10.35. Yeah. And then the return is at 8.35 the next morning, getting into Copenhagen at 11 o'clock. So you'd have to overnight so, in Rome, I guess. Overnight in Rome or Copenhagen before. Uh, well, what, what a trial that would be. <laughs> yeah. I guess, it, it, I guess it makes sense, though, for... Uh, Singapore Airlines to use the aircraft because already on the schedule today it's spending 29.5 hours on the ground in Copenhagen so if it's there anyway you might as well use it for something else yeah definitely I think Mm. it's great I think it's a a unique thing there's there's lots of these weird and unique little fifth fifth freedom flights in Europe and uh, Mm. I love them I love them (laughs) yeah me too so, so tell me on. about, well, no, no, I was going to say, tell, tell me about another sort of weird and wonderful European <laughs> airline. I will, with pleasure, uh, because Vidaro is perhaps my favourite little airline now that Flybe is no more. Um, mm. And they are a, a regional airline that has actually a really big fleet um, of very small aircraft. So mostly they operate the Dash 8 um, Q400 um, but they recently got an E2 and they're, they're looking to step up their game 
Um, but to kind of go back about this time last year, um, yeah. you know, the, the pandemic affected Vidaro just as it affected everyone else. They they did see their capacity drop down, but they came mm. back really quickly um, because, That's you know, the, the majority of their routes are intra-Norwegian um, routes and, and their domestic services, you know, they've described them as more like a public transportation than a kind of luxury. Um, you know, the people in, in the country rely on these services to get to and from where they need to go. So just dropping out of them wasn't really an option. And actually, for several weeks in early 2020, it was Europe's busiest airline. I mean, that's yeah. just insane. <laughs> so, <I> think, <laughs> it's crazy, though, because it was only Europe's busiest airline because no one else was flying. Yeah, it was. But it just shows the resilience of these regional operators. You yeah. know, for in early April, um, Eurocontrol noted that it operated 169 flights um, on April mm. the 13th, which was way more than any other airline in Europe. And throughout yeah. the rest of that month, um, as Europe was slowing almost to a standstill, Vidaro was operating more than 1,200 flights. And its nearest competitor, Aeroflot, operated less than 800. Ryanair, which is usually Europe's busiest airline, struggled yeah. to even achieve 200. Mm. Um, so, you know, they kind of fought their way through um, a better summer and then the second wave in the winter. Um, but at the start of 2021, we've seen Vidaro back in the top three airlines in Europe, surpassed only by Air France and Turkish Airlines. Um, mm. And what I find really interesting is that through the pandemic, they kind of repositioned themselves within Norway and they created something of a mini hub in Bergen, which is obviously not Norway's capital city, but it is yeah. an important city and it's kind of strategically located located in the southwest of, of Norway, which makes it good for connecting to other places. Um, mm. And I was chatting to a guy from Vidaro. He said that actually they have six connecting banks per day operating out of Bergen. So it's a, a really high frequency connecting hub. Um, yeah. Now that things are starting to open up again, Vidaro's keenly eyeing um, international destinations, which is really exciting. So last week, yeah. they flew their first service to London Heathrow with the E2. Um, mm. You know, this is a key service for connecting passengers. Previously, Vidaro only served London South End, which, you know, they, they said themselves is a great airport. They loved flying into it, but mm. it's not the best for connecting passengers. So yeah. um, trying to bolster this, this hub at Bergen, they're now funneling passengers from Heathrow to Bergen and then practically anywhere else in Norway. I feel like any airline that flies to Heathrow sort of deserves to be taken seriously as an airline. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, they've kind of got their foot in the door because there is a bit of capacity in the slots right now. But, yeah. um, you know, they've made it clear that whatever they can do to stay there, they're going to do it because they're serious mm. about continuing to operate from there. Um, and just this week, they've announced two new international routes. Um, so for the very first time ever, Vidro is launching a scheduled flight to a sun and sea destination um, okay. as Alicante in the south of Spain will join the network from September the 4th. Um, they'll be operating this once a week with the airline's E190E2, um, mm. departing on Saturdays from Bergen. And unusually for what is uh, essentially a leisure route and, a, and a very much a summer route, Vidro plans to operate it all year round. Um, so speaking to their network director today, he said that many Norwegians actually have holiday homes in that region um, and that many of them actually like to go down there for the whole of the winter to try, you know, to enjoy the mild yeah. Spanish climate. So uh, they hope that it's going to be sustainable as a permanent all year round operation, um, you know, and potentially more frequencies as things start to 
um, open up a bit more. And the second international destination they announced today is from Bergen to the Faroe Islands. Um, and this will operate on Mondays and Fridays with a Q400. So, yeah. you know, this is very much leveraging that strategic position of the Bergen hub. You know, the, the islands are just over an hour away by turboprop from that southeastern point, uh, sorry, southwestern point. Um, and as well as the leisure travellers, you know, the, the Faroe Islands are really cool. There's loads of exciting naturey things and apparently very good food. I'd love to go myself. Um, mm. But they're also betting on business coming back. You know, all through the pandemic, the airline maintained its connection to Aberdeen, um, which is obviously for oil workers. And, you know, yeah. those guys, they don't have any option. They cannot work from home. So um, <laughs> there, there's a continual demand for this sort of transport. And a similar demand is likely to exist between Norway and the, Norway and the Faroe Islands. So mm. we have seen the route before. Um, Atlantic Airways, which is based in the Faroe Islands, flew its A320 on that route. But they, they stopped it in June this year. Um, and you know, largely it's because that their aircraft was over capacity for such a, a niche route. Um, but Vidare, mm. of course, with its 78-seat Dash 8 Q400, it's right-sized, as they like to say in aviation these days, to uh, to make that market a really good go. So uh, best of luck to them, and I'm excited to have a go. <laughs> I've, I've got an open yeah. invitation to go and check out their, their hub in Bergen, so uh, I'm hoping to be Take able to do that you. soon. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So just sort of to wrap up, I wanted to speak about a slightly bigger airplane than the E190 E2, and that is the Airbus A380. And we couldn't go over a podcast without talking about it. But it's <laughs> I thought actually... we were going to get away with it this week. <laughs> no, no, no. But it, this is an interesting story, actually, because um, we know that two weeks ago, Airbus sort of told us that they were looking into a launching two centers in Bremen, uh, Germany, and Nantes in France to develop zero emissions propulsion, which, because obviously we know Airbus is looking at hydrogen for the future. Yeah. Um, so these centers are going to be up and running by 2023. And when they are up and running, they're going to be building liquid hydrogen tanks for aircraft that are going to have to hold fuel at temperatures of minus 250 degrees centigrade. That sounds challenging. <laughs> so that's no small feat. Yeah. But um, what we do know is that the first flight for liquid hydrogen tanks is currently planned for 2025. But we don't know what aircraft is going to be used other okay. than a couple of clues. Okay. So the French language publication Les Echo, Les Echo uh, I've probably butchered that pronunciation, so apologies <laughs> to any French listeners. Um, they revealed that the, the Airbus will use the A380 for such test flights. And our friends over at Aerotelegraph reported that the it may al already have an, air, an engine on it that can run on hydrogen. So Airbus, we spoke to them and they were very tight-lipped. They told us that uh, they're going to assess the options over the next couple of years. But here's why I think the A380 makes sense to test hydrogen aircraft. Because across the industry generally, as we just discussed on the Antonov section, two engines are generally considered to be better than four and clearly yeah. better than six. Um, <laughs> which kind of led to the fall of the 747, the 340 and the A380. However, when it comes to testing aircraft, four engines are undoubtedly better than two because the whole point of testing the aircraft engines is that you don't know if it's just going to suddenly um, give up life. And if you've got two engines and your test engine gives up, you've got one engine left. But on a four-engine plane, you still have three engines if the test engine gives up, which is why General Electric and Rolls-Royce both use 
the 747 for their engine tests. Yeah. But, um, like, we do know as well that it's fine to fly on free engines on the 747 because there was, of course, the British Airways 747 that got from Los Angeles to Manchester on free engines. Yeah. And you can read about that on our website. But I was looking into the data from chaviation.com and Airbus currently only has two four-engine planes in its test fleet. So that's an A380 and an A340-300. But the issue with the 340-300 is that it's the one that's already been modified for the blade laminar flow wing demonstrator. Oh, right, So yeah. I guess they're not really going to want to use that for other things right now, such as testing hydrogen engines, um, which really only leaves the A380. So, I mean, it's definitely more of a rumor and not saying it will happen, but watch this space i would say <laughs> i would be excited to see an a380 test bed i think that that yeah. would be super cool and uh, yeah you know given well, it, it, how many 747s kind of have gone off to do that it would yeah, yeah. it really would make sense mm. but you think it will be their own in-house a380 and not the not well, someone I mean, else's they've always got the option of buying something else because Qantas bought um sorry rolls-royce bought Qantas's ex-boeing 747 but you know um they already have the A380, whereas Rolls-Royce they didn't, didn't have, have a new yeah. 747. They have an old 747, but they need a new one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the end of the A380 program is already here. So what are they really going to be using a test A380 for these or days? demonstrator. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. nobody going to be wanting. Well, there's plenty around for people to check out if they do yeah. want to check one out. Well, parked up in Tyrol, mostly. <laughs> mm. Oh, well, that's interesting. I'll, I'll definitely watch out for that. Um, but generally, I think that's uh, all we've got time for today. So we hope you enjoyed our podcast. And as usual, we welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.